Help us to understand it, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply it so that we could become the new creation you long for us to be. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you uh, one of my most comfortable shirts. It's a Stanford athletic shirt, which I like because it reminds me that Stanford has a good football team. can beat Wazoo anyway, so that's all that matters. <laughs> that was cold, I know, right? And for the last, oh, I don't know, four or five years, I've worn this shirt every time I, ha- I go painting. Worn it on our work days. This uh, summer I wore it for our work day. I was painting a ceiling in the Jubilee Reach Center, and a lot of paint got on the shirt and not very much on the ceiling, which is probably why some of the people there kept telling me that I better stick with praying. And it's the kind of shirt that I have to hide from my wife, because if she finds it, she'll throw it away, because... She has no sense of history, tradition, or fashion, but I digress. Do you ever feel like your life is like this shirt? Given to you as a gift, but somewhere along the way, you've picked up some stains, some spots, some blemishes, some sins, some mistakes in your life, and as a result, maybe you feel like you have to hide parts of it from other people. Maybe for you it's an anger issue. I'm not talking about just getting mad, that's normal, but really just an explosive temper that wrecks people around you. Maybe it's a sexual sin, pornography or sex outside of marriage, and you feel trapped in it, and, and, and you've been burned by it, and you've burned other people because of it. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you shade the truth or pad your expense account. Whatever it is, all of us have sins and stains in our lives, starting with this sinner right here. And it's interesting, we try to handle those sins, those stains, in a variety of different ways. I mean, sometimes we pretend it's not a problem, that it's not a sin, you know. I don't gossip, I share prayer requests, right? I'm not angry, I, uh, I'm not, excuse me, my microphone's falling off, I'm not angry, I, uh, I, I, I'm merely assertive. Uh-huh. Or maybe we try to keep it a secret, They're terrified that if we get caught, that someone's going to discover us, wondering if they knew, what are they going to think about me? Or maybe we try to cover over those stains in our lives. You rack up a lot of achievements as sort of a diversion, right? Look at my job, look at my title, look at my car, look at my prestige. Pay no attention to that sin. Pay no attention to that stain. You know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I am the great and powerful Oz. And I've got it all together. When in reality, you're just a pudgy little man from Kansas behind a curtain, right? All of us have sins and stains and blemishes in our life. And maybe from time to time, like me, you find yourself asking the question, what will wash away this sin? What will make me whole again? What can take away this stain? And as we just sang, nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're starting a new sermon series this fall called Remade. In the Bible, Jesus says, I make everything new. The work of Jesus is to make all things new, things like our marriages, our jobs, our communities, our world. And the first thing Jesus wants to make new is you and me. He wants to remake us from the inside out. And the passage we just read makes this wonderful promise. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What a great promise. Jesus says that he will make us new. And the reason he can do that, this passage says, is because he died on the cross to forgive our sins and reconcile us to God. 
so that we can become more and more like him in this lifetime and fully like him in the life to come. Now, I know that in our culture, exactly how the cross does that, kind of confusing. Right? Like, how can God, how can another man's death forgive my sins? Or how come God didn't do it another way? And I've addressed some of those questions in other sermons, can't do it fully here. And, you know, to some extent, you just have to say a little bit of it is a mystery, which just makes sense because if God is bigger than we are, then we're not going to understand everything he says. He's going to be a little bit of mystery there. You can't, at a certain point, you can't unscrew the inscrutable. But let me just take a minute to deal with some of the theology in this passage and then move on to how it affects us practically. Whatever is happening at the cross, the cross shows us at least two things about God. And the first is how seriously God takes our sin. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say something like, why did Jesus have to die to forgive me? I mean, I'm a good person. I don't do anything that awful. I mean, I'm not Hitler, after all. I've actually heard people say that as if it's some kind of an accomplishment, right? I'm not Hitler. Wow, aim high, right? (laughs) Nice life mission statement. Just don't want to be Hitler. Wow. You know, we tend to minimize our sin, but God doesn't. You know why? Because our sin hurts people that he loves, including us. One of our elders told me this week that one time she prayed the prayer, Lord, please show me my sin. Silly woman, right? That's a very dangerous prayer to pray. And the first image that came into her mind was a time where she played a trick on her sister. Just a simple trick. Most of us learned it in childhood. You know, you say, have you ever seen a match burn twice, right? And you light it and then blow it out and flick it at the other person. You know, it's kind of funny, but you know. She has this, this, this trick comes to her head, and she goes, what? I mean, that's no big deal. But as she started to think about it, she realized that what she was actually doing there was using her power over her sister, that she was showing her sister disrespect to boost her own ego, and that had damaged her relationship with her sister, even though it was just a little bit. Even the things we consider little sins hurt people. Even something like gossip, which we consider to be a little sin, even though in the Bible it says it's a big sin, Even that, you know, it wrecks people. It destroys a person's reputation. It gets back to them. It can can make them, it can hurt them. And because reputations take a lifetime to build, if you steal someone's reputation, you're stealing a part of their life. Really, it's a little bit like murder in a way. Even our smallest sins can cause real pain, let alone the whoppers most of us manage to commit from time to time. And if God just said, oh, no big deal, right? That's okay. I mean, let's just, let's just forget about it. I mean, after all, they're relatively good, non-Hitler-like people, right? Let's just call it even, Stephen. Well, what kind of a God is that? He's neither just nor loving because he lets sin and, and, and hardness and evil go unchecked, unaccounted for, unpunished. No justice is done, which finally is not very loving to all of those who have suffered the effects of sin, which would be all of us. At the cross, God is showing us how serious our sin is. So serious it takes the death of God to deal with it. But the second thing God is showing us at the cross is how much he loves us. You know, God could have solved the sin problem another way. He could have just wiped us out. You know, sort of discarded us like a lousy rough draft of a sermon that you erase from your computer and start all over on a Sunday night, Saturday night. You know, not that that's ever happened to me, but just tossed us out. But God doesn't want to just get rid of us. He wants to make us new. 
So instead of solving the sin problem by wiping us out, he took our sin upon him. That's what this passage says. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can think of it this way. It's kind of this divine wardrobe change that happens at the cross. A couple months ago, I got another shirt from Eastside Academy, a brand new clean shirt, and I haven't managed to mess it up yet. And what happens at the cross is Jesus says, look, in your life, you've got some sins, you've got some stains, and let's be honest, folks, they're real, and we've got to deal with them. But what Jesus says at the cross is here, I'll take all your sins, I'll take all your stains, and in exchange, let me give you my new, my pure, my clean, my holy life, and you wrap this around you. The theological word for that is justified, which is more than just forgiven. Justified means that it's like it never happened. You remember it this way, just as if I'd never done it. That's what God says in the Old Testament. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, we still may have to deal with the consequences of our sin. That's why we shouldn't do them. But if we know Christ, our sin has been erased. In fact, did you know that in Roman times, whenever they crucified someone, they would go through all the public records, and if that person's name appeared in any public record, they would erase that person's name from all the public records as if that person never existed. And that's what God does with our sin at the cross. He puts them to death with Jesus, and he erases them. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in this passage, if we are in Christ... We are a new creation. And that phrase, in Christ, is very important. The New Testament uses it over and over again. In Christ. It's like being inside of a house or inside someone else's shirt. When when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness and new life wrapped around us. But even more than that, he not only sees his life wrapped around us, but Jesus says that he comes to live inside of us as well. Right now, if you know Jesus, his Holy Spirit is inside of you and has already put inside of you his righteousness, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his mercy inside of you right now in seed form. And our job is just to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to make those seeds grow. Every summer, um, I I do a garden, and the, the Eastside Academy students were nice enough to come and weed it for me, which I appreciated it. And I've got these tomato plants, and they're, you know, every year they get really high, you know, five, six feet high, and I'm always so proud of them. Look at my tomato plants. Aren't they awesome? Huh? Now, when they started out, they were just seeds in the ground, and you couldn't, even know that, you couldn't even notice that they were there. And I didn't have to work real hard to make them grow. That's just what seeds do. But I did have to cooperate with the process, water them, fertilize them, and then just on their own, they grew. And it's the same with us. Jesus puts his goodness inside of us, You can't see it at first, but if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit through getting to know Jesus in Scripture, through prayer, through obeying his commands, those seeds grow and slowly we become new creations. Now there's the theology. So practically speaking, what does this mean? How do we become the new creations Jesus died to make us? Three things. The first thing we have to do is confess. Confess our sin to God and at least one other person. God can't cover what you won't uncover. Before God can do anything about the stains in our lives, we've got to stop pretending they're not there and fess up and admit, yeah, I've got some stains, I've got some sins. And confess simply means to tell the truth about who you really are. 
So sometime today, after you go home, just take a moment by yourself and pray a prayer that begins like this. Lord, here is the honest, unvarnished truth about me. And then tell God about your stains. And then tell at least one other person who you can trust. Because when you tell someone else the power of secrecy is broken, and you get someone by your side to encourage you and hold you accountable to help you become the new creation Jesus died to make you. Confess. Second thing we have to do is receive God's forgiveness and really believe it. The point of confessing our sins isn't to wallow around in them and feel guilty and miserable, but to move on from them. Now, you may also need to go make restitution with someone you've hurt, but after you've done that, move on from your sins. Don't wallow in them. Do you know what Satan's favorite trick is? He loves to come to us and make us feel miserable and guilty about sins God has already forgiven. He loves to come to us and say, look at this, look at, look at this sin, look at this stain, look at what you do, look at what you think. Don't you feel just disgusted with yourself? Big jerk that he is. Right. That's what his name means, the accuser, and he loves to do it. But here's the deal. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You can say to the devil, to hell with you, literally. God's taking care of that. The debt is canceled. It's behind me. It doesn't define me. God has buried those things on the ocean floor. Now go away, devil, before I taunt you once again. Confess our sins. Receive God's forgiveness. And then third, just as I just said, cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about just trying harder. Womp up goodness on our own. I'm talking about finding those seeds of goodness inside of you, cooperating with those nudges from the Holy Spirit, and gradually, over time, you will become a new creation. When I was in Rwanda with our team a year ago, a little over a year ago, we visited a Christian house for former prostitutes. And these were girls ranging in age from 9 to 19, kind of kids that we're going to be helping through the street kids center that we're building there for, through the Ripple Effect campaign. And our host for that whole week was a man named Joseph, and he was, an, he was a pastor, and he's this amazing spiritual leader, very gentle, very kind. I mean, just the goodness of Jesus radiated out of him. Kind of guy who blows you away with his holiness. You know, you get around him and you realize, wow, this, this is genuine for you. You're really this good. This isn't an act, right? And while we were there, we listened to a few of the women tell their stories about having to live out on the streets and having to work as prostitutes just to survive. These girls, ages 9 to 19. But then about how they found the power through Jesus to live new lives. And now they, they were, they were get, learning new job skills and they were going to church and they were taking care of their kids instead of abandoning them. They were new creations through Jesus. Well, and just as we felt like the visit was wrapping up, Joseph, this amazing spiritual leader, Joseph steps forward and starts talking. And I could hardly believe what I was hearing. He looked at the girls and he said to them, I need to ask your forgiveness. He said, long ago, before I knew Jesus, I was a wealthy businessman. And I had a lot of money and power and prestige and I reveled in it. I bought every luxury item I could. I bullied other people with my power and my authority. I could hardly imagine him bullying anyone. He was so kind. But he kept, he went on, he said to the girls, you know, and I'd go on expensive business trips into the city. I'd stay at the finest hotels. I'd eat at the best restaurants, flaunt my wealth and my power. And then I would go find a prostitute and spend the night having sex with her. And many of them were your age. I have done this to people like you. I have done this to you. I am your oppressor. And then he got down on his hands and knees, 
and bowed his head toward these young girls, and he said, please forgive me. Now, for a pastor to do that in that culture is almost unimaginable. And then without being asked, the girls surrounded him, all of them sobbing, and these girls started to pray for this man who had just confessed to being their worst nightmare. They prayed for his health. They thanked God for his miraculous turnaround. They, they prayed every blessing they could down on that man's head, and suddenly the kingdom of God burst into the kingdom of this world, and we got a glimpse of what God can do in our lives. We were witnessing a man who had been remade, surrounded by a community of women who were being remade, and who could forgive him because they knew that his sin had been taken care of at the cross, and he was now a new creation. In fact, I couldn't believe how different he was. I couldn't believe that the man he said he used to be was the same man I'd gotten to know that week, because he had changed so much in just the space of a few years. You know what? I've seen God do equal miracles here with people that I know. An adulterer who finally comes to Christ and learns that what it means to be a man isn't to go have sex with every woman you can, but to find one good woman of worth and love her for a lifetime. Alcoholics who have been freed from their addiction. Porn addicts finding freedom in Christ. Anorexic women learning to love their bodies and treat it as God's temple. And if God can do all of that for those people, well, then what can he do in your life and in mine? You know, when I was growing up, occasionally people would say things to me like, you know, when you die and go to heaven, there's going to be this giant video of your life. Anyone ever tell you that? This is what they told me. There's going to be this giant video of your life, right? And everything you've ever done, every sin you've ever done, every filthy thought, every vile deed will be projected on this giant video for everyone to see, and your mother will be there. <laughs> Holy moly, right? That's not how it's going to be. It's more like this. Remember Watergate and all those tapes with Richard Nixon scheming and plotting? And, but then when they got to the tape that was supposed to convict him, do you remember what happened? There was an 18 and a half minute gap in that tape. His secretary had erased the tape that would supposedly have convicted him. Okay, here's the good news. Because of Jesus, your tape has been erased. Okay, a couple of you are nodding. I'll take that as a Presbyterian amen. Because of Jesus, your tape has been erased. Amen indeed, right? And not just erased, but recorded over. And instead of every vile and nasty thing you've ever done, there'll be a new recording of all the new deeds, the new thoughts, the new creation that you slowly become as you follow Jesus. Healed, mended, restored, remade. This is God's project. This is God's goal. This is God's passion for you. And he will not stop until you are whole. So as we turn the corner into fall, what are those stains? What are those sins in your life? And how can you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in becoming the new creation God wants to make you? Because if anyone is in Christ. Notice, it doesn't say if certain people are in Christ. It doesn't say if you're an important person in Christ, or if you're trying to get your act together, or if you've got your act together in Christ. That's not what it says. It says if anyone Anyone, no matter your past, no matter your present, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter the sin, stain, spot, or blemish on your life, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, period, end of sentence, no comma, dash, semicolon, or parenthesis. Jesus can make you new. The question is, will you let him? Please pray with me.